0: Hello and welcome. This is Talking Growth. We break down the fastest growing products and companies in the world. I'm Frank Locascio. Let's kick this thing off. How's it going, Chris?
1: Doing well today, Frank. This week's episode, we're going to go over a new topic of online currency and money exchanges, specifically NBA's top shot for those of you out there that are sports fans or investors. What exactly is NBA Top Shot? Why is it interesting for the future?
0: Yeah, there's a lot to unfold and kind of unpack about Top Shot. Mm -hmm. Obviously, if you've paid attention at all to the digital asset space, if you're an NBA fan, you've probably heard a little bit about NFTs, non-fungible tokens, and uh, kind of their rise within digital art and within, for sports purposes, digital collectibles and kind of a replacement to trading cards. We've seen the NBA license a Mm -hmm. lot of great moments from kind of recent NBA history to a company called Dapper Labs. Dapper Labs is a company behind a project that launched in 2017 called CryptoKitties, and it clogged up the Ethereum blockchain. And then they decided, you know what, Ethereum's too slow for us. We got to do our own shit. So they launched their own blockchain. I got the NBA license and they started selling basically little highlight clips of great moments from recent NBA history to fans as digital collectibles or trading cards. You know, they're minting hundreds or in some cases, thousands of replicas of specific moments in NBA history. And that's it. They mint it once and then they sell them through like their own marketplace. Yeah, Yeah. through like a trading, like trading card packs, like kind of something they borrowed from the traditional playing card or sports card, you buy these packs, and you get cards, and they tell you which edition or which serial number of the card you own, and then you're free to hold it, sell it show it off do whatever you want with it but there is a lot of demand in this marketplace and I know Chris is going to get into the data here but they're doing they've done uh, hundreds of millions of dollars in sales and it's uh, been a pretty incredible rise over the last couple of months as these collectibles have really taken off and we've seen you know basketball players like actual NBA stars get behind <laughs> it and talk about how they're buying their own moments and stuff and yeah. it's kind of been wild I think most people that have found us probably have at least heard about nfts in some sort of way but we're gonna kind of walk through slowly like how top Shot works in the beginning here and kind of give a kind of a high level overview of what's going on before kind of digging in further and kind of evaluating if we think it's if it's got staying power or not but it's it's still super early to know
1: sure would you even call quali- it can call it a currency like qualified as a currency or is it technically just it's a I guess a cryptocurrency.
0: Yeah, but. I wouldn't call them these little moments, currencies. I don't think, you know, for it to be a currency, I think it needs to be a unit of exchange. I don't think anybody's going to be exchanging sure. a LeBron James dunk for, a for you know, a new BMW M3 anytime soon. Is like, sure. you can't use your card to go to a dealership and pick pick up a new car or something but yeah it seems pretty soon that you'll be able to buy multiple m3s with a lebron james dunk the way these values of some of these moments is going up are going
1: up yeah we're going to just kind of break this down real quick nba top shot they're serialized 10 to 15 second digital collectibles on a blockchain and this own ledger is owned by dapper labs created their own blockchain that's named flow if we we're talking about earlier where exactly these are hosted i'm not exactly we're sure if we've gotten that deep into that dive yet frank but
0: it's it's still a little questionable about how immutable the flow blockchain is it does seem like dapper labs still has basically complete control over the blockchain itself and that's not what you really look for in a hey. blockchain, you want it decentralized. You want no single point of failure, but again, it's it's tough to have that level of decentralization with a new blockchain. They all yeah. start off centralized before people buy in and start running nodes sure. and uh, contributing to the ecosystem. So it's a
1: non-interchangeable, non-divisible, you know, NFT on a blockchain, but it's only been around. This one specifically started in October 1st of 2020. It's already done hundreds of millions of dollars, specifically 373 million. They have 150,000 buyers, roughly, that we know of. So those are people that are registered on their own blockchain with their own user you know, IDs and 2.3, almost 2.5 million tokens. And Dapper Labs, has a five percent transfer fee on every transfer of these moments on their own blockchain. So, so that
0: five percent fee is in addition to the money that they're collecting on each pack drop that they sell. And the know, NBA. Yeah. We have to the the specify NBA, sure. also
1: the NBA and Dapper Labs here
0: together. So, so their combined revenue is sales of the the new moments that they mint. Plus, they get a fee of daily activity of moments that are just treat, you know, going between hands of different collectors. So, they're getting both the initial sale from the mint when they create the moment. And then every time that, that moment is sold and purchased, they get another fee.
1: So, how many fans do you think that we're dealing with? I don't know. Just I guess we'd say in the U.S., but it's not really limited to the U.S. Uh, well, one try, right now...
0: It? You can't put, shot, go so. on the Top Shot website and purchase a moment if you're not in the United States. I imagine okay. that will open that up, especially given how popular the NBA is in some other countries like China, Australia, Canada. But right now, I believe it's limited to U.S. only. So if there are 350 million Americans, there are probably 30 million people that watch at least one basketball game a year maybe 10 million people watch multiple games a year. So, you know, that's kind of U S population. And then you think they've only gotten 150,000 unique accounts to purchase Mm -hmm. moments, Mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're kind of just scratching the surface in some ways. And I I think the 150,000 is a little inflated at this point, they've had some problems with bot accounts, and, do, and multi-accounters just trying to take advantage of uh, sure. kind of their safety protocols in order to get multiple packs and just double dip, I guess, their allocation.
1: Yeah. You were mentioning the multiple accounts, people double dipping. That is certainly a weakness somebody could take advantage of. And that was mentioned in a Sports Illustrated article that you pointed out to me today, Frank. Right? Yeah.
0: So let me talk a little bit about multi-accounting there. So on multiple Saturday Sundays when Dapper Labs wants to release a new pack of cards, they say, you know, we're going to do a drop at 2 p.m. Eastern on Sunday afternoon. Come to the website at 1.45 to get in line. And we're going to randomly shuffle everybody that gets in line between 1.45 and 2 o'clock. And then, you know, once we come up with that order of the line where we're only selling 25,000 packs today. So a lot of the times you end up with hundred, 150,000 accounts in line. I don't know that it's gotten 150, but there have been drops where over a hundred thousand accounts have gotten in line to purchase a new drop or a new pack of cards and they just aren't willing to sell enough. So everybody gets one. So if you're sitting there with any technical ability, you run multiple multiple, yeah. yeah, usernames, run multiple attempts here to get a place in line and reserve a pack. Basically on every single one of these packs, the immediate resale value of the cards that you claim in the pack, that resale value has always been an order of magnitude higher than what you paid for the pack in the first place. Sure. I've signed up for maybe four or five drops I think I've gotten only one. Mm-hmm. I've only gotten high enough in the line one time in order to claim a pack. And it was like yeah. a $20 sale for the initial pack. And I sold my three cards for about $200. So that's pretty standard. You know, in some of these packs, in some of these cards, if you get like a, a super low serial number, it can be two orders of magnitudes higher. I mean, it could easily be $2,000 for sure. your pack. That would cost you only $20 to get. So it makes sense to give it a shot with multiple accounts. So I think that's happening a lot. And I don't think Dapper's taking it as serious as they probably should because they're not requiring you be a verified account in order to get in line for a pack. So there's no KYC or uh, requirement to prove that you're a real person before getting a spot in line. So if you're sitting there with like four IDs or four family members, you can just have them all lined up with twenty seven different accounts and then depending on which accounts actually get dropped, so you can you can sign up for those family members or people to claim those those packs and sell them and whatnot. So it's they're really not trying to prevent fraud as much as they're saying. They're saying they're doing technical things to do it, but really the way to throttle the the fraud in the multi accounting would be KYC up front.
1: Yeah. Well, also they, I did read that they are not necessarily in trying to combat the idea of fraud exactly in the ways you were just mentioning it. They are limiting the number of people that are able to withdraw funds. I think it's limited right now to like a thousand accounts or, you know, so many accounts or so many buyers. The point is that not every single buyer of an owner of all of these NFTs can now go cash out if they wanted to, let's say tomorrow for the full dollar amount of what it's registered at. But... I don't think people are doing it with the idea as well to take advantage like what you're saying, making all these multiple accounts and the sole purpose of just trying to flip them and make money. I don't think that's what is going on with this unique item in this case.
0: I have not tried to withdraw yet. I have sold a few cards, so I have cash in my dapper balance, Mm
1: -hmm. but I haven't
0: tried to send it to a bank account or withdraw through cryptocurrency because mm-hmm. they offered multiple ways to purchase. I know you can sure. you can send them ETH or Bitcoin to buy packs if you wanted to. But I think yeah. most people just put it on the credit card. I think it's yeah. just the easiest way. And it's there's kind of a no incentive to sell cryptocurrency in this environment as it's gone up for about six straight months. But well, uh, and, then, and you
1: saying exactly there's no incentive to sell cryptocurrency. People aren't willing as willing to sell it. I think what you're reading about more how people are holding these assets because of how much value that they've gone up in. That kind of goes in earlier, Frank, the scarcity. So there's 2.5 million, well, technically 2.35 million tokens thus far, minted, only from the 2019-2020 season, 2020-2021 to seasons. I think the majority, I don't know if those are 100% accurate numbers. But then, like you said, Frank, there's multiple editions of the same moment, but lower specialized serial numbers taking precedent in real-world value. So there can be thousands of the same moment and those yep. lower serialized numbers, whether they're kind of like corresponding to the player's jersey number or, you know, they're some other number.
0: Right. So if you look at the marketplace for any given moment, the price that people are willing to sell low serial numbers is way higher than the price that they're willing to sell the high serial numbers. So if you have number one, number two, single digits, obviously, you get a lot more for than any other number. Also, jersey number, you know, Michael Jordan, number 23. 23. I imagine his, his first moment with serial number 23 is going to be huge, a yeah. remarkable sum. I know Zion Williamson, I believe he's number one. So he gets the double one there for his jersey number and it being the first one that goes for extra money. Hmm. So... Yeah, that's kind of an interesting dynamic, too, where they're all numbered.
1: Somebody paid 100000 for a Zion Williamson block. Most expensive non-dunk sale. Of course, this was at the time. That was last week. Trying to pull up numbers on this in the past day or two. But this all keeps skyrocketing overnight. Other numbers just to throw out here. Well, LeBron that Zion James. card
0: is my good friend, Jeremy Levine. Yeah. He's been super early on uh, NBA Top Shot. So shout yeah. out to Jeremy.
1: So yeah, huge shout out. The, I mean, the amount of n- dollars and numbers that you're seeing thrown out just at, in terms of all the hype that's being generated around this, it's insane. So LeBron James, took 125,000 Zion Williamson, rookie debut card. Also a block sold for 77,777. What's the seven Frank? Is that like something huge to Zion? Cause you're the, or maybe it's just arbitrary. No, you know, I think the
0: person listing it just decided it'd be as cool as to sell as it, as it for cool. all sevens.
1: So maybe it reinforces the randomness of it as well. We're saying how they only release these packs at certain times and whether or not you're in line is one thing. And there's so many people in bidding, obviously at the same exact moment for these packs.
0: Right on the release schedule, there are a couple of things unpacked there. One you don't really know what the release schedule will be. You roughly know that they're going to release probably multiple packs every month, but you don't know how many cards are going to be in each pack or how expensive the, the packs themselves will be. So you, it's really up to Dapper to control the supply side of the market at, mm-hmm. their, own, at their own pace or their own, their own benefit. I guess Dapper is incentivized to continue to reward their early adopters because their best marketing to date has been their early adopters who buy all these cards, and then they go tell everybody about it because they want to pump up the ecosystem and they want to bring in friends and they want it to continue to grow, to kind of pump their bags, if you want to look at it cynically. But if it's something they actually enjoy, which early adopters You can easily say that they're thoroughly enjoying collecting and trading these different moments and all the strategy that goes into kind of evaluating underpriced players, underpriced underpriced moments or rookies, or just the different strategies around portfolio construction. There's a lot to think about there, and it's actually a pretty compelling game to play to collect these things. So I totally understand why, if you're enjoying doing this, you're going to tell people, but uh, Dapper is incentivized to keep their early adopters happy. So they probably don't want to flood the marketplace with too many drops, too many cards, because if they do, the value of other cards will go down. So I imagine their release pace will be good, but it is a risk because you don't know if Dapper actually does it properly or not looking ahead. So that's kind of a risk there. And I guess the other problem with the random sporadic release schedule from Dapper here. So there's just a lot of room for collusion inside knowledge and just kind of general, I don't know, general, what word am I looking for, Chris?
1: What general, you're talking about collusion and insider knowledge. I mean, there's just going to be not insider trading, but there's going to be so much that are unknown.
0: That's a, that's a piece of it. I, I bring this one up because Last night, they announced a, a drop on Discord only a, a few hours before the drop actually happened. So if, if you happen to be yeah, a regular in their Discord channel, right, you would see about the drop and obviously sign up. But if you don't follow them on Discord and don't have alerts on for them on Discord, you wouldn't have known about it. I didn't know about it. I had signed up for their email list. And mm-hmm. for every drop to date, They've sent an email saying, you know, uh, we're doing a drop. Whatever so time, yeah. There's like a little bit of a, Hello. a heads up in some way there. I get it. You know, they have no requirement to inform me of every single drop, but sure. it was just a little bit annoying to a lot of people that they were not alerted and they didn't know it was possible for them to do a drop without sending an email to everybody that signed up for email alerts. So I just yeah. felt it. Just it. It felt a little unfair. Not that it truly matters if, you know, they totally their prerogative to release things at their own pace and tell specific people about it. But I now know like, yeah, I'm not going to hear about every drop just from the email list. So now I know the rules of the game. I just wish I knew the rules. That's it.
1: The only say, okay. So the two things that get brought to mind there with the timing and the release of information that it was just being irregular in their release of their timetable and release date of when they were going to push out new packs and giving them out to the people or was it just necessarily that they were trying to just be exclusive and narrowing down the audience to just those those in the discord but you don't want to there's an old saying don't attribute to malice that can which can be explained by incompetence and by a <laughs> I mean i do i'm not trying to call them incompetent by any means because look they're worth 300 400 million dollars but what i mean by that is did they mean to only give that access essentially to the people that heard about it in discord versus a wider audience by email blast or yeah. something
0: else? Like you said, I, I don't it. know if, you know, I don't think that they're trying to do it one way or the other. I'm I just believe they called it a stress test. They've had so mm-hmm. many server problems with their website that they're unable to handle demand for multiple drops. There've been a couple that have gotten delayed because they just couldn't handle the demand and the site went down. Yeah, and their site goes down for it. maintenance. Yeah, their site's yeah. been down for maintenance, maybe Multiple times. three or four days of the last fourteen. Just like twenty-four hour brownouts where you can't list any new moments, or they put restrictions in on pacing. You're only allowed to, I think,
1: do something in twenty-four them. hours, or right, or like yeah, one I trade think they had it
0: like a half hour or something. Every half yeah. hour, you're allowed to list something new. So. Sure. They put like rate limiting in place. So I think they called this drop a, a stress test, which is kind of bogus. You don't need a, a real world stress test. There are other ways to test your servers if it can handle the, the demand that actually have people uh, sign up for a drop. But, you know, if they didn't call it a stress test and they just said, you know, our most dedicated users are in Discord. So we wanted to give them a heads up first. We wanted to Mm -hmm. reward them for being so dedicated. I get it, but they're putting it behind this facade of, oh, it's a stress test. I just, I don't know that I buy it.
1: Yeah. Well, that's why I kind of prefaced all of what I said before by, is it exclusivity or is it just them being irregular in their methods of communication with potential investors? Or do they just more want to just do scattershot and see what works, fire any which direction and kind of go that way? Yeah, um,
0: I think they're a little guilty here of of playing the perception game mm-hmm. and doing everything in their power to create an aura of exclusivity or incredible demand. They want everybody to continue to believe that they're still on this rocket ship journey sure, the sure. whole time. Okay. You know, they put like these huge banners on the top of the site for everybody, even if you're logged in, that say like, registration is still closed because of incredible demand yeah, it's just yeah, deal is- yeah
1: so it's one of those vip clubs that even when you're in the <laughs> vip there's still another vip that no yeah. one's in
0: yeah yeah where there's like they you know uh-huh. the bouncer won't let people in the front door yeah. of the club until yeah. the line gets long exactly. and once there's a long line then he starts letting people in <laughs> just because they want a line to make it have the illusion that there's a waiting list to get in and yeah. it's uh busier than it actually is taking a uh,
1: street vendor marketing, you know what I mean, one to the yeah. digital current crypto marketplace.
0: That's my so, perception of their a little bit of their branding and their communication so far. I could a, be wrong, but no. if it's unintentional, they're doing it's great work. It's like great. just
1: like in the strides. I mean,
0: it's like perfect unintentional work. It's well, so, almost too okay. perfect. Yeah. So
1: yeah, we're sitting here talking about the richness of what these things are. So they the packs from what I read. We started at $9 to even as low as like $230. And then mm-hmm. some was like nine ninety nine. there's all sorts of numbers being thrown around. But the point is the NFT, which is the non-fungible token, one of the whole reasons we're talking about Top Shot, and that's what these items are. So Beeple was that artwork, which is a combined however many pixels of some guy's Instagram account combined, and it sold for $69 million third largest amount for a living artist and mm-hmm. if you want to call it that contemporary art i guess that's what it is nowadays because i've seen better slash worse go for more or less so these auction houses are essentially giving space to these things they're giving credence and giving value to them by giving them time of day and it just went across what, what was it last week or week before last so
0: yeah so i think to to take a step back I want to just talk kind of quickly about what gives artwork or collectibles value in the first place in the physical world. Philosophy. All right. No, I'm just, I'm not so <laughs> I'm just, okay, basically right it's the, what gives a piece of art value is the, the signature and the authenticity that it's, created by the artist that holds some sort of historical value or sentimental value or some sort of memory to a different to a different time
1: to and
0: make, yeah make. and at this point the Mona Lisa you can't sell like there's no there's no dollar amount that the Mona Lisa will ever be sell, you know on sale for but it's if you could estimate it, I don't know, hundreds of millions of dollars for the Mona Lisa or something. Well, the amount of revenue that it you know brings into loop
1: sure. alone because of the, right. all the people that go just to see. Yeah, that's Mona interesting.
0: Lisa. But I was just going to say, the actual collection of atoms that make the artwork aren't that valuable, and even the the visualization of the image is not that valuable because we could print it or have an artist. We, I guess we could print it and have it a pixel for pixel replication of the original. And you can print it for $5 and put it on your wall. It's But it, you can only buy that for like $5 because it can be replicated and it's not the original created by the original artist. So Correct. just the fact that it was created and kind of signed by the artist gives any piece of artwork its real value because you'd always just print it. People yeah. try to make that argument about like buying NFTs, you know, this is digital art. Why can't I just print this out and put it on my wall? Well, it's the same reason you can't do it with the Mona Lisa. It doesn't have the value because it's not the original. Yeah. So if you can kind of understand that it's the the signature of the artist and the creation by the artist that gives it the value and the,
1: the reason for
0: collecting yeah. in the first place, then you can kind of see, okay, well, I guess, you know, the NBA is creating these and they're minting these moments in time. So because it's the official moment by the NBA and it's tradable on a blockchain, that gives it its original value because you can watch all of these little moments on YouTube. You could loop it on your phone all day long. You could put it on your iPad and put it against your wall and see, I own this moment. But it's not the original clip that was accounted for on the blockchain uploaded by the NBA.
1: Yeah. Make a YouTube compilation for free if you want, but it's not going to be this unique content that was issued by the NBA. Right. Because it's just the next generation of collectibles. Yeah. I guess, you know.
0: And back in our day, Chris, when we were growing up, we (laughs) would collect uh, Pokemon cards or baseball cards or whatever it is that were cool for us or sneakers. And we would just kind of flex to our friends. Like, ooh, look at this rare card that I have. Look at my cool Jordans. Jordans or Air Force Ones. We're getting to a place where people younger than us, people that are still, I don't know, in their teenage years, they play Fortnite. They're spending hundreds, (laughs) thousands of dollars to upgrade their characters in these digital environments. So they're not flexing with like a physical cardboard Pokemon card, now they're flexing with their new Just hoodie that they're the wearing enemy. in Fortnite yeah. or the new sword that they purchased or whatever it is. So <laughs> we're we're coming to a place where, you know, if if you're flexing with a a digital collectible or something you buy for a digital environment, why won't these NFTs be viewed the same way? And I imagine living in your digital house in some decentralized VR world where you can show off your NFTs. And then there, you know, you can prove that it's, this is an NFT that you actually own and have the private keys for. So like, why not have digital artwork in the same way?
1: Yeah, I agree with you. seems to be what the world's moving towards already regardless and having something like the NBA, which is now putting so much money and clout behind this one thing it makes sense to have something that's worth
0: it. My biggest issue with TopShot is that it's, I guess my biggest point of skepticism, I guess there are two. One, I mean, Dapper Labs has done an incredible job. They launched CryptoKitties, blowout success, lots of user adoption. They launched TopShot, huge success, Mm -hmm. amazing product market fit. They're they're, they've played their cards right in a lot of ways, but they are a, a central point or a single point of failure in the top shot ecosystem. You have to trust that they're going to execute well enough to not screw this all up in some way. So there, that's one issue. Another is there's going to be a lot of, there are going to be a lot of other digital collectibles out there. Top shot is just one of the first it's, Even the first within sports. I know they're Mm -hmm. in talks with the NFL, baseball, soccer leagues to do top shots for them as well. So we're going to have top shots for multiple sports. Well, I I
1: read that the NFL actually did try one. There was Hash or something. What was it called? Did they? Yeah, I've read that they've actually had attempted one. But again, this was in 2018 when, since we're talking about top shot, I believe top shot was starting to be in talks with the NBA as early Mm. or as far back as early in those days. I can't remember what the NFL one was called for the life of me now, but, uh,
0: okay. So other sports are coming. That's another criticism. We'll see where, you know, as long as more and more fans adopt these things, that's not a concern because Mm -hmm. the NFL will bring in the NFL audience. You know, the NBA is bringing in the NBA audience initially here. So I guess that's not a huge concern, but the third would be Dapper Labs built their own blockchain for this. Yes, I trust NFTs that are connected to the Ethereum ecosystem a lot more than I trust NFTs on the Flow blockchain, just because Ethereum is pretty clearly the leader in the smart contract space. They're the leader in decentralized finance. And there is hundreds, at least, you know, I'm not going to say hundreds of billions, but I guess with derivatives, there's hundreds of billions of value attached to the Ethereum ecosystem. And that's that's a network that has a lot more to it than just Dapper Labs launching their own blockchain specifically for this purpose. Sure. There's no single point of failure within Ethereum. You could kidnap Vital- Vitalik Buterin and shut down the Ethereum foundation and Ethereum would still run. There'd be no problem. But you couldn't say the same for Dapper Labs. They, you know, without Dapper, flow goes to zero at this point. I mean, maybe there would be a community effort to revive it, but the community is not there. And Dapper would have to hand over a lot of stuff in order to make that happen. And they're just not showing that they have any interest in doing it at this point. So... We'll see. Yeah. But those are my kind of three big criticisms.
1: Yeah. I, Cause we talked about it earlier. These can be valid criticisms given that they are the ones that own this, you know, these other kind of similar ideas are a little bit more out there for the public. Whereas this is all on Dapper Labs and NBA top shot, putting the value behind it. But I mean, every day it seems to be going up.
0: Yeah. I don't know that it's gone up consistently. I mean, since I bought my cards on March 3rd, it's been pretty flat. I think I'm down $100, so oh, wow, I okay. haven't done well. You know, I'm so probably the only card. person to lose on Top shop And maybe so that's maybe, why I'm bitter, right?
1: True. <laughs> well, maybe also, too, the only ones we're reading about are the people that are actually... It's that confirmation bias where when you go to type type in online and you start to read about it, you're simply reading all the positive reviews and the positive comments about it. Because
0: yeah, that's there's where a we're little bit to, of that play. Yeah. There all the stories to date have been the people that bought in back in January and early February that have mm-hmm. ten, hundred X their portfolios, and that's amazing.
1: Yeah. Um, which, is, which is crazy.
0: But yeah. you can look at the analytics sites and they'll they'll speak to kind of what I was saying in that the market has cooled off a little bit the last couple of weeks. Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't shock me if it surges again and everything doubles by the end of March. Like that could easily happen. But sure. it just has cooled off for a couple of weeks. And we'll see where it goes. I mean, I have a couple of moments listed for sale at 2 3X, what I purchased them for, so we'll see. But I'm not too worried. I imagine in this environment, you know, we had Jerome Powell come out today and basically say that he's not thinking about thinking about thinking about thinking about raising interest rates. <laughs> he's committed to cheap money and the continuation of inflating asset bubbles and classes all over the place. I mean, stocks surged on the news, Bitcoin popped, everything popped. And the dollar dumped against other currencies, against pretty much everything. Everything that's priced in dollars went up, dollar went down. And between that, that was, you know, big news for the markets today. And that they basically said no planned interest rates for at least another year or two. And I think only half of the 18 or 19 Federal Reserve board members projected any sort of hike in 2023. So they're still split if they're going to hike at all by 2023. So yeah. easy money is is the game plan from yeah. the Federal Reserve. And today you had the IRS say, you know what, guys, you don't have to pay your taxes on April 15th. We want to give everybody an extra month. You can pay us on May 15th. No big deal. <laughs> Just keep your money another month.
1: Yeah, that's, uh, that's A little extra cool. money
0: slushing around there. And then you had all the stimmy checks they hit this mm-hmm. week. And by the end of this week, everybody's getting their 1400 bucks. Yep. And uh, what are people going to do with that? You know, there were some surveys and polls taken and uh, a shockingly Nothing high responsible. percentage, You know, a shockingly high percentage of people said they were going to basically <laughs> deposit on Robinhood and Put it all on <laughs> options on GameStop yeah. and buy Bitcoin. So, yeah. yes. As all this money's slushing around the system, I'm not this worried is... about top shot valuations going down.
1: Exactly. Was it yesterday or the day before, Frank? And you mentioned, oh, this is what the Federal Reserve gets for printing all that money. Everybody shows looking for easy money, the next way to make money, you know, yeah. make their money,
0: make money we are creating asset classes to put, to shove money into because we don't know what else to do with it.
1: <laughs> yeah. I read uh, how even, so we're sitting here talking about top shot, which is the virtual version of collecting cards. And I think in the past year alone, I read that collectible cards have gone up and like overall, like the market has risen 30 to 40%. And market
0: yeah. has gone up a lot too, Like physical cardboard sports yes. cards. That's yes. that's surge too.
1: So it's like you were just saying, I think we're just looking for asset classes to create of yeah. like, you know more things to look for.
0: Yeah, it's, it's crazy that hundreds of thousands of people pretty much in two, three months time went from thinking there was no such thing as a digital collectible to the mass delusion of everybody saying, yeah, I want to collect things digitally. Like mm-hmm. the concept of digital scarcity still hasn't resonated with ninety-nine point nine percent of the the population states. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a lot of people that even own Bitcoin don't truly understand what digital scarcity means. No. But but we're headed down there. Not yet. Yeah, it's it's just a tough concept to wrap your head around that we have provably provably yeah provably scarce assets where provably scarce and predictable in their supply schedule. Like we can estimate how much gold is going to be mined next year, but we don't know for certainty whether the supply of gold in existence is going to go up by one percent or two percent. We make projections, but it's just projections. With Bitcoin it's it's mathematically verified that they're only going to release six point two five Bitcoin every ten minutes for the next yeah. four years. And with a ledger.
1: Yeah they being that crypto, that blockchain.
0: Yeah. I want to do a Bitcoin episode. Maybe that's the next one, Chris.
1: That'd be very cool because now talking about what NFTs are now getting into this and there's so much money being poured into ideas like this, mm-hmm. which is just incredible to see how much money there was obviously out there that people had floating around that are now pumping up all of these things seemingly out of nowhere you know, in the past few years.
0: Yeah. This is what happens when stocks only go up and we, we reward people for buying speculative stocks with high growth projections, but with little reported revenue every quarter, you know, we're pricing growth to infinity and and until we adjust interest rates, I don't know that that's going to stop. Yeah. The problem is we're playing with interest rates at all. I mean, it should be a market price for the cost of capital or money or a loan but we've decided 18 people can get together every 3 months and decide what the cost of money is going to be better than what the market could set so no better we humans are imperfect and <laughs> easily influenced and often victim to groupthink so we're going to have imperfect inputs into the economy when we totally control it like we do. And it just leads to in a lot of cases malinvestment. Sometimes it it leads to investment in crazy ideas that are actually beneficial. But a lot of a lot of bubbles are created and a lot of money is lost in the inflation of these things. Absolutely. Uh, and all the the spec the rampant speculation that people are forced to do in order to just beat inflation.
1: Yeah. And this might be like, whether it's a, it's definitely not an intended consequence, but it's one of those offshoots of what's going on, like what you're saying, because there's so much money floating around and now people are looking to put it elsewhere, find it elsewhere.
0: Right. People are chasing yield. I mean, you can't just sit around in dollars with your savings. Because it's slowly getting inflated away. I think we talked about it on the—we talked about it on the last episode. But about 25% of all dollars in existence were created in the year 2020. So, mm-hmm. if you—if you didn't get 25% return on your savings, you probably lost out to inflation, because yeah. the denominator of your share of all dollars in existence, you know, grew by 25%. <laughs> Any closing thoughts, Chris? We're gonna head out talk to you yeah, later Chris
1: good that was a great talk about NBA Top Shot Frank All I right. hope we maybe shed some light on the topic for some people out there I think we did that pretty good yeah, yeah I think we covered it alright we'll catch you guys next time
0: alright later alright